0: This is actually already old numbers. The market is increasing exponentially. Investments are growing month on month. Hey everyone, and
1: welcome back to the Laundry, where we discuss AML technology and the fight against financial crime. I'm Frederik. This is the Laundry, a podcast by Stripe.
2: Welcome back to another episode of The Laundry. I'm here with my colleague, Frederick. We're also joined by Magnus. Magnus worked with AML at McKinsey. Now he does his PhD at the Norwegian School of Economics and work with a variety of topics related to money laundering across the financial industry. And why are we doing this episode in English, you might ask. We have gotten a few inbound requests from curious listeners abroad and we decided to do one in English for them. Did you know AML is the fastest growing job in banking, or that banks have invested? How much was it again, Magnus?
0: Only in the US, like 50 billion uh, just last year.
2: And how much would it be uh, worldwide? Is there any estimate of that?
0: I think this is actually already old numbers. The market is increasing exponentially. We see banks focusing more and more on this topic, and the investments are. Growing month on month. So we we would expect this to probably be around 100 billion in the the upcoming years, only in the US. I have no clue how much there is globally. I've heard (laughs) it's
1: about to, like, it's supposed to grow by 2023 to be like $2 billion just in software spent on AML alone. So that accounts for just the software part of it.
0: Yeah, those numbers as well are outdated already uh, because we see the. The cost increase is very often driven by by cost on hiring people and investing in process improvements and just putting people on the problem. And software has proven to be a major stepping stone in increasing your efficiency, but also your effectiveness in, in capturing um, money laundering crimes. So for me, I think those numbers are way too low still.
2: But just to comment a little bit on the on the difference between the total money spent and just the software spend. It means that a lot of money goes into hiring people, and that is also why it's such a fast-growing profession. But I mean, that is, is it right to say that uh, a lot of people here are underserved in terms of software and good user experience when they spend their time fighting financial crime?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think if you look at software process, insight, like tools that give you insight, it's all enablers for people making good decisions, right? So so serving the key stakeholder, which is really the money laundering professionals or anti-money laundering professionals, <laughs> is really key. So so building this software market which is in line with their needs and their profession and not only not only the profession but the development of the profession is really crucial. So as of today it's it's Uh, a tool that covers the end-to-end, let's call it the value chain, is not really existing yet. Hi, I'm William, and I work as a software developer at Strice. We observe that existing KYC software is often incomplete, hard to navigate, and is not built for team collaboration. As a developer at Strice, my primary mission is to change this. The tech team at Strice purely focuses on making software that is easy to use and where teams across your organization can easily collaborate to keep your customer's journey moving forward fast. Want to trial how easy it is to use the Strice platform? Sign up for a five days trial today.
2: Magnus, let's hear it. How big is AML really?
0: I think AML today is the largest topic within modern banking. Uh, and that says a lot given the size of this market. Uh, not AML as a single topic, but AML as part of the non-financial risk areas that we are seeing more and more. And if you do think how big is it really, it's big enough that it makes every single CEO get a little bit less sleep every year. And I think that says a lot.
2: So, how many resources are then thrown at this problem? Do you have any like have any examples?
0: absolutely. But but if you look, okay, let's take the people aspect of this, right? So. What you normally say is that um, the the compliance functions of banks are typically around one one point five percent of their total FDs or full time employees equ- equivalents, and and if you take a modern bank in in Norway and take let's say let's say you have ten thousand employees, this would then translate from hundred to hundred fifty people, right? So. And that would really, really make sense to reduce it, to make it more efficient. But at the same time, it's not a goal in itself to have less people, but you want those people to spend their time on the right topics. And, by, and for doing that, you need to have tools and support mechanisms that allows them to spend less time on repetitive tasks and more time on actual risk. Um, And uh, if you don't say that the average bank in the Nordics have between 100 to 400 people working on AML, just think about the larger US banks, the European banks, we have maybe 20,000 employees, 30,000 employees even. The number of people working in AML is drastically increasing.
2: I heard somewhere that if you take all of the non-financial risk jobs in a bank, it could amount upwards to 10% of the total FTEs. In some cases, absolutely.
0: absolutely. Because now the numbers I gave are, are only what we say at dedicated professionals within what we call the second line. So those that are overseeing the business, but, but there's becoming more and more need of putting people also in the, in the customer facing line of the banks, which we call the first line of business or the first line of defense. And within this line, you need to have a bit of a different knowledge base of AML where you have to be much more customer oriented and that's a bit of a rare treat you have to have the business combination together with the money laundering knowledge and you have to be able to balance the compliance aspect with the the business aspect and and if you think about this is really challenging the number of jobs that you see being posted the, the trends of hiring it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and then you also have to add on those that are working in internal audit functions. That mm. means that there's a dedicated team in the internal audit functions of banks that also looks at money laundering and non-financial topics. Uh, and if you take all those combined, you probably will get somewhere as closer to the number you, you mentioned. Uh, I'm not sure if it's that high for the larger banks because the economies of scale, but for the smaller ones, they're really struggling, one, to get the knowledge and two, to hire enough people. And what often happens then is to have more people per role because they have less knowledge individually.
2: You mentioned that, okay, the goal is not necessarily to have fewer people, but that those people actually, you know, work on where the risk is. Because, again, these these people are really society's first line of defense against financial crime. But what is technology doing to fix this? Frederick? what's uh, from your experience?
1: Well, I think what Magnus is getting at in terms of the understanding what is a good commercial opportunity based on that only what used to be a good commercial opportunity in terms of growth as it used to be in the past, now it's more trying to combine that with the signals you get on risk or compliance really early on. So you go after the uh, commercial opportunities that has low risk, high reward, uh, and not the other way around, obviously, which is it, it makes complete sense. Like imagine, as my, uh, Magnus mentioned, sitting in the first line or sitting uh, with some sort of sales or growth responsibility within a financial sales company and you get a list of 100 companies you can target, it makes complete sense having a system that supports uh, risk signals detection from the get-go so that you prioritize the accounts where you know they will be able to uh, use the products or compliance will give the thumbs up once it's time to actually do proper onboarding of them. And it goes back to having good in, uh, good systems to identify these companies from very very early, in, early on in the process as well. Using modern technology, the companies are able to have a complete customer profile from day one, so they know, obviously, then who to target, but also this trickles down through the entire value chain from onboarding to con- continuous monitoring them to prioritizing who to target once they uh, integrate this with their transaction monitoring systems as well.
2: So I guess it all kind of starts at knowing what type of risk you're taking on when onboarding a new client. So doing the right work then, it's really important to secure yourself throughout the customer lifecycle. What's your take on this, Magnus?
0: Yeah, I think, um, so my perspective is that the, the role of software and technology within the AML value chain is, is massive due to two reasons. So first is that it increases the ability to detect risks early and have a much more transparent view on your risk types um, that your customer bring in. And then two, it's also a big commercial area where you can leverage the insight you get from doing analytics on the AML area, also for your commercial decisions. And let me bring, bring you one example on that one. So KYC in itself, it's basically a checklist of information you need to store on your customer, right? and then there's a validation process that 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 information is correct. If you find that your processes today always misses certain types of uh, information so that you only have like 70% complete customer files, you can actually leverage that to understand my onboarding journey within the branches or online is faulty because one, the customer can maybe skip a field on their online uh, process or two, my employees in the branches doesn't collect the information that they are required to collect. So you can actually improve your efficiency from a business perspective on enhancing that process. Secondly, let's say, take another example, transaction monitoring can also be leveraged to understand the behavioral patterns of your customers and actually leverage that to understand which type of products do they want, which type of products can we cross-sell, right? You can actually leverage that information in a new way as long as you do it within the regulatory limits. So there's a big commercial uh, aspect from the synergies between commercial AML analytics and software, which is where the the what Frederick mentioned very correctly is also sales, right? Which yeah. type of customers do I want? Because um, customers can I target?
2: Because a lot of banks and financial institutions right now complying with uh, AML legislations, it's uh, it's it's cost, it's cost, but you can turn it into a competitive advantage.
0: Yeah, because When I talk, to, I talk to a lot of European uh, chief compliance officers, chief risk officers, and, and we oft, often get into the discussion that this is very expensive and there's no upside for me. It's only securing my downside, right? Uh, and what I normally say then is, yes, that's true. If you only think about compliance as something that you lay on top and something that inhibits you from doing business. But what you need to do then, you need to find out how can I do business wi- while leveraging my compliance? because you have a lot of talented people there. And there's very few people that know your customers better than those that actually do your know your customer process. (laughs) Right? So it it might seem trivial, but it's actually very true. And Mm. very few banks leverage that opportunity today. And and that link, I haven't seen a proper solution for that yet. I've seen strides that you guys work at, right? Uh, and, And you guys are really mesmerizing me in terms of how you do this topic. But I think bringing that even to Europe and scaling it is going to be a super big opportunity for, for the banks in leveraging compliance data.
1: It's, it's strange. We see that the biggest bottleneck in terms of actual growth is usually the KYC process. At least that's what we hear in the market is that it's not really the amount of potential new customers. It's just how quickly can we get through it all? And from a competitive advantage as well, from these companies trying to challenge or even with neo banks or challenger banks, uh, as well as the sort of traditional uh, big banks that operate in the market and have a huge market share, like the competitive advantage of having a proper onboarding flow is immense.
0: Exactly. Take me as an example. It, were, it, it took me four weeks to onboard a company uh, through a bank. It was a very small company, right? Because the KYC backlog is so big. So what happens is that you start, you start looking for alternatives because very few let's say, uh, founders, likes to wait four weeks to get your company bank account up and running. right? Yeah. So yeah. you start looking for alternatives. So what I say is that your, your backlog causes leakage, mm. right? Customer leakage and market share leakage. And this you need to plug and the, the proper plug to that is fixing your KYC and onboarding and AML processes that you are adhering to, especially in Nordics
2: and uh, also i just wanted to quickly touch upon something you said earlier magnus so let's say you do have a kyc process that only gets 70% of the required information on a kyc profile that is what's really risky because if the authorities come looking at your processes like that is a irresponsible process that can lead to you know lead to money laundering and these things so that is really why we see banks get fines. It's not necessarily because there is money laundering, because that is a big global problem. And, and criminals will always try to try to launder money and find new ways of doing it. But it is having an irresponsible process that will really get you to trouble.
0: Absolutely. And I think about the KYC process really sets the foundation for the data that goes into all your systems that are subsequent to your onboarding process. That is the continuous diligence, it Mm. is the the transaction monitoring, it is the behavioral patterns that you will look for and match that to the customer profile. There's a lot of elements that are are really building on a solid foundation in the first steps. So the first steps are not something that you should take for granted or something that you can say I can fix later because it has really uh, severe issues or consequences down the line. Um, and I talk a lot with the analytics functions of, of these banks. And, and they always say that it annoys me that our data is so bad, right? Uh, Our data is not good enough to perform the analytics that I know I can do, but then it's like, yeah, but, but how do you try to fix it? Ah, we we tell them to collect more data and fix the data. And we, we use other types of data, right? Instead of going to the actual root cause issue and say our onboarding process doesn't collect the data that we need. Right. For doing the necessary necessary risk assessment on our customer, model the risk assessment, bringing this data to life, and and that's where the patchy approach comes in. That you try to go back to your customer and say, "Hey, by the way, I forgot your passport." "Hey, by the way, can you send me your last three paychecks?" "Hey, by the way, can you fill out this form?" It's really annoying being a customer and the banks calls you more often than your brother or sister, right? <laughs> uh, and and that's that's when you know your KYC process is bad
1: because yeah, it should definitely be the other way around where one like you have a solid foundation from the beginning and you add on, but you add on more knowledge and that's internal knowledge. So what you end up with at the end is basically an accumulated knowledge base where all the different persons that's been in contact with the customer have added on instead of filling out manual or forgotten information or fragmented information one step at a time and you basically end up with a net mm-hmm. zero, maybe even a negative Uh, But in reality, you should be able to have an accumulative positive customer profile as time goes on.
0: Exactly. I fully agree with you. And and if you think about if you get this right, that's when you can start capturing synergies from other risk areas such as fraud or cyber, right? Because you can actually match fraud incidents and then you can say, based on my data, which customers are most likely to be affected by this type of fraud based on their customer profiles, right? and if you are if you are a big online shopper and there's a big fraud incident within the, within the e-commerce uh, aspects you can actually target that customer and say hey by the way this has happened check your accounts we have checked we didn't find anything but please stay alert right and it becomes much more proactive and what you really do is leveraging the data that you should collect so um, I'm getting very excited when talking about these things. So you have to stop me. But, no, no, uh, no, no, it's, uh, it's uh, perfect. But I I I'm it's curious
1: from, from your perspective and, and put it quite simply, like how do we get from where we're at today until, uh, or to the place where we actually want to be?
0: I think there, there's two aspects on it. So one is planning and two is enablers, right? So if you start with planning, uh, from my perspective, the banks need to stop thinking about uh, quarterly plans and basically remediation tactics into like, what are the overall journey for three years, right? I think, I think we really need to work, focus on on fixing this long term, because doing the patchy techniques and always doing remediation, always being in emergency mode doesn't create solutions, really. It creates some mandatory you know, some mandatory fixes that works for the next three months before it has to be redone, right? So that's the first thing on planning. And then secondly, on the enablers, I think you need to strengthen the abilities for your team to make good decisions, right? Mm decisions and how do you do that so one they need to have proper tooling and then two the process need to be designed so that they spend less time on per case on repetitive and maybe sometimes not very tasks that are necessary for them to perform and then three you need to have a proper communication between those that sits in the business so the first line and the second line and then the, th- and then the actual people doing their models because that feedback loop is super important for getting all this to work mm. Uh, so that's how I would I would do it, and of course communication with the regulators. Uh, I think I think those, uh, that I've heard previous uh, episodes. No, know, my perspective on uh, on regulations, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think it's important to have that uh, communication ongoing.
1: Absolutely, I, I completely agree with you, and I think especially it's interesting with the sort of the patchy solution, as you call it, where you just add on a new solution. You you basically guf, uh, duct tape a new solution on top of whatever legacy system you already have in place. So I think what we see and what's interesting to see the difference between banks as well in terms of where they're at to use third party providers is I think a lot of banks really need to have a real good look at their current systems and take two steps backward to basically take a major leap forward. And what I mean by that is going away from the patchy solution, understanding what type of data model do our systems actually support and how do we implement modern-day SaaS solutions that support the end users to do what they should do and are way more future-proof. So when new regulations come along, when new standards come along, it's not a huge project to change. It's basically a simple add-on because you have systems that future-proof and and set up to support it, basically.
0: I agree. And, and I think the most difficult thing that you do as a bank is to really change the systems that you have, because the legacy issues is almost like uh, they're tentacles or what you call it. There's like, <laughs> like uh, the, the systems today are like an octopus, right? Where you have the arms going into every single systems all around and then you have four octopuses and then you have another octopus and it just creates like a big mess. And I think it's a big risk trying to fix that like this as one project, but if there is a solution where you can have a future-proof solution that it may be cloud-based that can actually extract properly and then manage it on a separate platform where you have everything like one-stop-shop type of uh, type of mindset where you have seen in e-commerce, mm. um, I think that that would be the best way to go for many banks. Um, and, and the reason why I'm saying that is that if you look at the greenfield banks, like the new, e, like new solid digital banks that have come up, uh, like Lunar, like uh, Asbanken, like Bulda in, in in Norway, you see that they have done so much right yeah. from, the, from the get-go. And uh, I think that's just tremendously interesting uh, because you can actually see how you properly design based on the learnings from the past that have maybe learned you how not to do it, right? Which is, which is great. It's not all about credit anymore. It's also about the, the risk that you can't measure in KRI. So I think, I think that, that's really interesting.
1: I think, yeah. Again, really, 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 yeah. Completely agree with it, and I understand we're talking a large part about banks now, but this is all regulated companies. It's just that banks have been the one subject to these regulatory fines, as far as it just makes sense. Using them as example for, from yeah, from a technology perspective, at least.
0: I think every single highly regulated entity should think about KYC. And it's not only from a money laundering, a regulatory perspective, but if you are an auditor, you are regulated. If you are a real estate agent, you're regulated. If you are um, basically a a wealth management uh, professional, you're regulated, right? There's so many places where you are regulated, where this will come into play but also from a pure commercial perspective, why shouldn't you know your customer, right? Yeah. yeah we've seen that yet.
2: with uh, the sanctions because sanctions is not just for banks, that's for everyone. And certainly yeah, KYC right? uh, is, uh, yeah, important for, uh, for a wider segment as well.
0: Absolutely, but, but I, think, I think that's where your experience as well comes in as, as being a software provider, right? Because I think the the new perspectives that you bring in as well to to the to the again the value you bring for banks it's it's difficult to detect when you're sitting in your current system until you actually start using it so so i think communicating these types of solutions as you guys have done is is, is a big step on the way right and getting that traction in the market to understand that you need to address these issues head on and very often it's not about tweaking existing Systems from 80s, 90s version 38.4.3, <laughs> right? And it's man, it has it's so complicated. that You have to have a dedicated uh, uh, third party to manage it, right? That's not that's not working anymore. And I think we need to. I think we need to uh, just everyone agree on that.
2: So, before we uh, before we end this episode, let's we've talked a lot about money laundering, but do you guys know what is the biggest money laundering? heist in history is the biggest yeah like ever the the biggest uh the biggest exposed one at least
1: wasn't uh goldman sachs a big one like a few years back
2: yeah they was uh they got a big fine in uh, 2020 uh but that's not it all right magnus do you want to take a guess
0: Uh, it's difficult i think the number i think the most the largest one in number of accounts are Danske bank but i'm not sure what is the la- largest one in terms of
2: money laundered or biggest yeah, yeah biggest fine or most money laundered or most accounts yeah,
0: that's a, it's a difficult to see which one you're which which care which kpi are measuring on?
2: that is uh that is true well in europe it is Danske bank That was around, was it a little over 200 billion U.S. dollars that was laundered through their uh, Baltic branches or Estonian branch? Mm. But the largest of all times was a bank, which I'm kind of struggling to pronounce, but Vakovia, which is now part of Wells Fargo. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, in 2010, the bank was found to have allowed drug cartels in Mexico to launder close to 390 billion US dollars through their branches from 2004
0: to 2007. Oh, wow. And that's probably what they have extrapolated. And we don't know the real numbers, right? So Probably. <laughs> probably. probably <yeah. laughs> you could probably multiply that with two or three uh, for any multi-laundering case, but I'm probably not allowed to say that because, uh, yeah, anyway... Uh, it's, it's probably a lot bigger uh, problem if you think about all the connected banks in that. In that it uh, is. And
2: like money laundering, it's, it's a big global problem. So it's estimated, the UN estimates that one to two trillion dollars are laundered through the financial system every year. And just to mm. put that amount in perspective, the climate funding gap, so the funding needed to solve the climate crisis is three trillion so if we were able to put this money into the legit financial system and tax it, I mean, that is a big amount.
1: Would we solve it in two years then?
2: The climate or the money laundering?
1: The climate, if we put the money into it.
2: Yeah, Then, then uh, if we could get all the money the money laundered into climate, that would be a good thing.
0: Uh, I, think, I, think, I think if you think about ESG, there's a lot of talk about the E. Right. Mm. But I think uh, to get to to wherever we want to be, if it's it's on climate, if it's on social, if it's in governance is really about making sure that capital are taxed so that we have, you have capital are taxed and the financial system has incentives to invest in those types of uh, friendly uh, industries and starting with uh, making sure that the, the activity that we have in our economies actually are legit money that are taxed and properly structured is the first step, I think. Mm. Uh, and then of course, uh, maybe a natural second step is thinking about the reducing emissions and those things. But I think it's really important that we have a sound financial system because the financial system will play a crucial role in the transformation that we are seeing the next uh, 20 years.
1: Yeah, the world follows the money.
0: Yeah, isn't that the, the song that we play after this episode? It's uh, it's uh, money makes the world go around, right? Yeah. So yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. Definitely. And starts with having good KYC. So you don't just let anyone into, you. anyone into your bank or access financial products. So thanks yeah. for everyone who was tuning in for this episode of The Laundry. This week's recommendation is to be aware of identity theft. That is one of the highest growing money laundering trends across Europe. And this week, not so fun fun fact for AML is that 30% of the money mules in the UK are under 21. Which means that it's probably time to get AML into the school curriculum.
0: Probably. Probably. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.